Flossum, the philosophy of embracing your so-called flaws and being awesome despite them. It's about kicking perfectionism to the curb. It's about showing your face on video, maybe even without makeup. Flossum is letting your audience in on your reality when you're not dressed to the nines, when you're willing to try something new to promote your business, when you're feeling extra passionate about something. I'm Anita Kirkbride, founder of Twerp Communications and Social Media Day Halifax. After a decade in the social media space, I've got a lot to say. I'm inviting you to join me on a journey of embracing your flossom. Season two of the podcast is part passionate ranting, part storytelling, and completely and radically transparent. Around here, we commit to being good enough. We dropkick perfectionism out of the glow wrestling ring. We celebrate getting shit done because done and shipped is so much more satisfying than perfect and never done. Welcome to season two of Be Flossom, the Good Enough podcast. Today, my guest is Crystal Richard. She's the publicist behind Crystal Richard & Co., a global digital PR company helping entrepreneurs get the dreamy media coverage they deserve. She's also the creator of Digital PR School and coaches business owners on how to rock their own media outreach. When she's not making clients famous, she's saving the whales and helping others develop a coastal crush on New Brunswick with her travel and lifestyle brand, East Coast Mermaid. Welcome, Crystal. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy we were able to schedule this chat for this season because I think our businesses are aligned in a lot of ways in terms of we both help businesses by doing the work for them, but we also use our expertise to teach small business owners how to flossomly do their own work, right? So tell us how you get started. Yeah. So that story, I will definitely give you the Coles notes version, mm -hmm. but I actually went to university to be a marine biologist. I thought I wanted, yeah, I thought I wanted to save the whales. And after doing a couple internships with department of fisheries and oceans and sort of getting a real feel for what marine biology and marine biologists working in Canada looks like, it wasn't as glamorous as, you know, Jessica Alba and into the blue with you know, working at Atlantis resorts, and dolphins and sea turtles and all that, not as sexy in Canada. So I also realized, you know, working in labs wasn't exactly something that interested me. So I switched majors and did a psychology degree with a minor in business. And after I graduated from Dell, I started to realize that was sort of when social media was becoming a thing. The digital world was exploding. And so I thought, okay, I think I might actually want to get into PR. I love telling stories. I've told stories since I was a little girl. So yeah, I just really self-taught, found mentors, learned what I could on the internet, Googled a lot, and somehow found my way into working at an agency as the director of PR. And about five years later, I actually went out on my own. It'll be five years this February and started Crystal Richard & Co. to help others get the media coverage they deserve. And tell us, where did East Coast Mermaid come from? So East Coast Mermaid was the last year I was working in an agency. I was starting to get that entrepreneurial tingle for years had thought I'll never be an entrepreneur. I don't want to be responsible for my own paycheck. I like having benefits. None of that seemed appealing to me, but that last year I was starting to notice 
I wanted something that was my own. I wanted something that I could create that I decided what went on it and what was published. And so I was at the beach one day and I thought, you know what? I love New Brunswick. I'm proud to call it home. I love talking about the beach. I love talking about my favorite islands and summers here. And so I thought, what if I started a blog? And it really happened just as simple as that. And over the years started featuring different places. Now it's crazy how, you know, friends and, and people I know on Graham and Anne's, I've tried to book a motel room at my favorite motel there and it's been fully booked. And they're like, this is all your fault because you send everyone here. So it started out as just this little passion project and a way for me to have something of my own. And now it's turned into this incredible resource that I get messages from people around the world who are planning trips to New Brunswick and using it as a resource to plan their trips. Well, I think both of those stories really will resonate with the people who are listening today because so many, especially women, but lots of people, they leave a job because they're wanting something more. And then they go out and they don't know what they're going to do, but they go out on their own and they flossomly make it happen, right? They just embrace it and they do it and they learn as they go. So I think that story really encompasses just going for it and being brave, right? To go out and just do it. So let's talk about pitching the media because that's your jam, right? Well, that and sea glass. We'll talk about sea glass later. <laughs> but your jam is pitching the media. What do you think small businesses get wrong about pitching the media? I think a lot of small businesses, A, think it needs to be hard. It's not. Anyone can pitch the media. If you know how to send an email to communicate in a message, to have a conversation with someone, you can pitch the media. The other thing I think is that people don't think they're they're ready to pitch the media because they think, and this is my favorite you know, myth to expose, they think they need this fancy media kit or a press release or you know, this crazy photo shoot or B-roll. The amount of times I've been asked for a media kit in the last five years is zero. They ask for a headshot. If you have a press release, you can share it. But at the end of the day, a journalist will typically either call you, do a Zoom call, or send you questions over email, and they'll ask you for a photo or two. If you're going on TV, they might ask for some B-roll video to air with a segment. But so many people think, well, I can't start pitching the media because I don't have a media kit, or I don't have something to announce. I don't have anything that's breaking news. Just sharing your story, sharing what you're doing, sharing how you're helping your customers, that's all you need to turn into a pitch to pitch the media. I agree. I think a lot of people in PR and in social media, they're waiting for everything to be perfect. They're always waiting for something to get started. They're waiting for the perfect time to start their business. They're waiting for the perfect time to have kids. (laughs) They're waiting for the perfect time to go on social media, go live, do this, do that, start a podcast, whatever. So sometimes you have to get started in order to get better. It's never going to be perfect. And I love pointing out to people that always trying to be perfect and always working towards perfection just keeps us in this constant perpetual state of distress, right? Right. It's just a constant state of distress. If we're always trying to be perfect and never actually shipping anything. So I guess what you're saying is just, just ship it, just get it out there and then better. And the best part is, is that, and I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it PR. It's not hard to send an email. It's not hard to send a pitch. It is a long game. The first time you email Forbes, there's a high probability they're not going to say yes. But here's what happens. You email them with whatever your state is now, what you're doing, how many customers you have, what kind of revenue you have. 
You send that now, and maybe it's not a fit for them. But six months from now, when you hit a new milestone or you hit, you know, a new revenue goal, or you've launched a new product, or you've landed a new, you know, celebrity partner, you go back to that writer and you say, Hey, remember me? You know, I reached out to you six months ago when we were just starting out or when we had just had this milestone. Here's where we're at today. And the fact that you can sort of show here's what you've done in the last six months, that second time that you email them, that might be enough for them to say, oh, wow, this person actually is persistent. They're staying in touch with me. And maybe it doesn't happen that time. I once had to pitch 22 Forbes writers over a year and a half before we got a feature for a client. And in Uh that time span, they went from having barely any website hits to you know, almost a million website hits, but paid their dues. We sent a lot of pitches. We had a lot of great conversations, but it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. So if you start today, you're that much closer than if you're sitting back and saying, well, I'll wait until it's ready. Right. If you wait a year until it's ready, quote unquote, you've still got to put in your dues. You've still got to do the work. It's you've got to get started. And I was just going to add PR is so much about relationships too, right? Mm -hmm. So if you can start building those relationships now so that when you have something to announce, you have those foundations, that is key because you don't want to cold pitch someone for the first time when you're really banking on that coverage. You want to have reached out to them six months, a year, two years prior to introduce yourself. And even if that's something as simple as just finding a perfect writer that covers your industry and sending them an email tomorrow that compliments an article they wrote last week. You don't even have to tell them what you do, uh, pitch them. You can just say, Hey, I really loved that article you wrote. Looking forward to reading future articles. And then your name is in their inbox. So if they ever search you, they see, okay, you've actually been investing in this relationship with them. Yeah. I think a lot of people think pitching the media or getting a story in the media is very transactional. I'll send it. They'll accept it. We'll do it. It's done. But it is really about building relationships. I mean, I just came off a radio interview for a local radio station. I have relationships with several journalists here in the city. And I know that because I've helped them out many times with stories that they're covering, if I have something that I want covered, I can probably find somebody who has space for it but I don't abuse that either. I don't just send them everything. Like I'm not just going to send them, Ooh, I got a new client because that's not new. What kind of stories do you think the media are looking for? Like what can make somebody more successful in the pitch? So one of the biggest things is again, it's stories about people, not products. So even if you have a physical product or you have a service, you want to turn that success into how you have helped a customer still making it about people. That's the biggest thing. They love female entrepreneurship stories. If you are a female entrepreneur, lead with that. Talk about what you're doing. Also loving anything right now is the time to be pitching holiday angles. It seems crazy to be thinking about the holidays in October, but if you're pitching holiday angles and gift guides in November, you're late to the party. So starting to think about that. Also being mindful of what's popular, looking at what articles are trending and finding ways to build stories to relate to that, to your business. It's not so much news jacking where you take breaking news and you find your angle. It's just noticing what people are talking about and seeing how you fit into that conversation. How do you think social media helps your PR efforts? Does it, or are they just completely separate? Oh, absolutely. So I would not be able to do PR without Twitter. Twitter is one of the, it's a gold mine because 
Journalists, sure, they might have a Facebook page. Never, ever pitch a journalist on their personal Facebook page. Just don't do it. They also might have an Instagram. Most cases, it's not cool to pitch a journalist on Instagram. Exceptions for this are, you know, if you're pitching a podcast host, maybe that's how you communicate with them. You know, some style writers, bloggers, there are exceptions if it seems that that's where they're having these conversations. But for the most part, the best place to look at journalists, editors, producers is on Twitter. It's a great way to get to know them. You can share their articles. You can tag them. If they have their DMs open, sometimes that's a faster way to send them a pitch than over email. You can spot timely opportunities. So every day I'm always resharing different journalists that are looking to speak to experts in, you know, XYZ or with right here, what's going on in the Maritimes right now, every other day, there's a journalist saying, I'd like to speak to someone about the latest press conference and how this impacts you. So there's so much opportunity that you can spot on Twitter. And then LinkedIn, it's a one of my best publicist hacks, but if you can afford the 50 bucks a month for LinkedIn premium account, sending in-mail messages to people you're not connected with, like journalists, is a great way to get in touch with hard-to-reach journalists. There's a lot out there that don't publicly share their email address, and you can try all day to figure out the perfect combination of first initial, last initial, or first initial, last name at Condé Nast. It can drive you crazy. But if you can't find their email using InMail, which allows you to send messages to people you're not connected with, with the premium account, is a great way to start a conversation over LinkedIn and then ask, you know, I have something I'd love to send you. What's the best way to connect? They might say, send your pitch here, or they'll say, oh, here's my work email. You can send it there. Would you say that's more for the bigger multinational publications, or is that the same for our smaller local newspapers? Yeah. I mean, it can be for anyone. I find for me, it it tends to most often it's producers. So if I'm pitching a TV segment, if I'm looking for people who work behind the scenes, because oftentimes people, if they're trying to pitch a TV segment, they'll go straight to a reporter or an on-air anchor. Oftentimes it's the producer that's going to have to do everything behind the scenes and take that and, and approve it. So if you can do a search on LinkedIn for who all works at a media company and find out who producers are. You can actually go straight to the source sometimes and send them the pitch so that they can bring it to a pitch meeting and get it approved. It varies. It's really, like I said, I tend to rely on it if it's someone that I really just can't track down their email or if it's a producer that I want to sort of build that professional relationship with on LinkedIn. And and maybe it's just for future opportunities. Maybe it's just starting a conversation to find out how they like to be pitched, how they like to receive segment ideas. And what about you personally using social media? How does that help build your relationships with the journalists and the producers? I think it's just showing that you're active. I mean, I remember back in the day when I first started out in PR, you would see different publicists that would be trying to get the attention of journalists, but they weren't using Twitter for anything else. So if you went to their feed, all you would see is, Hey, so-and-so I have a really cool story for you or Hey, so-and-so I'd love to send you a pitch email. And that's all it was. Mm -hmm. So by me actively using social media and sharing glimpses of behind the scenes of my life of, you know, Ted Lasso gifts, whatever it might be, I'm showing that I'm actively on there and I'm not just using it as a way to pitch the media and to, you know, essentially suck up to the media. I actually am participating in social media. And I think it also gives you a chance to show your expertise and build your business. And, you know, I see you talking all the time about your client wins, which I think is great because then that gives people ideas. And obviously it must work for you because you're having a pretty busy year. 
Yeah, it does. And I mean, it plants the seed. I see so many Atlantic Canadian businesses that think that they can't land on these big podcasts or they can't get into Forbes because, you know, they're not in New York or LA or Toronto. But if you have a story and if you're doing something incredible, you can be pitching these big media outlets. So Mm -hmm. every time I share this stuff, it's really to show others what is possible and maybe just get them thinking about what PR could do for their business. And how do you feel about sharing things that are a little more personal on your social media? Do you think businesses need to do that? Or is that a no-no in the PR world? I think sharing behind the scenes and personal glimpses is key because it all comes back to media want to write about people, not products. So if you can show the human side to who you are and what you do, I think that's incredibly important. I stand by being authentic on social media and sharing the ups and downs whenever I can. And I honestly do think if a journalist is creeping your social media to see, you know, who you are and what you're doing, sharing some of those different stories and things behind the scenes, that might even spark a story idea. I've had interview requests for the weirdest things over the last couple of years from, you know, fried clams to sea glass because a journalist that I have pitched in the past checked me out on Instagram or Twitter and saw, oh, like. She's also got this whole East Coast mermaid thing going on. Well, I need someone to talk about fried clams, so we should interview her for that. So by sharing these passions, you might actually get media coverage for talking about things that aren't related to your business, but it's still your name in the press. And you can still add that to your press page and say, Mm -hmm. as seen in CBC, it doesn't matter if you were talking about one of your hobbies, you were still getting media coverage. And that Mm -hmm. is something that you can add to what I call your credibility storefront on your website where you have all of your logos displayed. Obviously you're recommending that people do that, put that credibility storefront on their websites. Absolutely. Have it in multiple places. A lot of people just have a press page. I like to see, you know, a section on your homepage when people get to your landing page where they can see those prominent logos and switch it up. If you get a bigger opportunity, swap out one of those other ones with your biggest opportunity, make sure you have your really big ones on the homepage. And then your press page can be where you have, you know, every interview you've ever done or article you've landed, but that's Mm -hmm. as important to keep updated as everything else on your website that, you know, whether it's your business hours, your copyright year, all of that, keep your press page updated as well. So this reminds me of conversations you and I have had probably on Twitter or or maybe in private messages about the ability to buy your credibility on press, right? There's Mm -hmm. programs out there. I haven't seen them recently, but they're offering to get you those logos that you can put so that you can say as seen on MSN, as seen on CBC, et cetera. What do you think about those programs? Should people be doing that? Run, run (laughs) screaming, never, ever say yes to one of those. Here's the little tidbit that a lot of people don't realize. And I get them all of the time. And it makes me laugh when I get them because it's like, hi, we are a publicist company and we'll get you into Forbes. I'm like, did you even read my bio? Like if I wanted to get myself in Forbes, I could probably do that better than you. As someone who has a clients who are regular contributors to Forbes, we'll use Forbes as an example. There is a box that you have to check when you submit any contributed article to Forbes that says you are not receiving any financial gain. You are not associated with this. Like they're not a client. There's no financial attachment to you and this client when you submit that. So all of these people that are saying, I can get you into Forbes if you pay me are essentially violating Forbes rules. 
And they're very thorough. If you submit an article and you say that, but then you name drop a company or two in the article, a Forbes editor will come back to you and say, I just need to double check that these three companies that you mentioned into your article that you linked to, that you are not associated with them. They're so thorough about that. So what these people are doing is essentially breaking the rules. So first mm-hmm. and foremost, you don't want to be associated with that. Second of all, from a publicity standpoint, it's more commonly known that this is going on now. So if you share these articles, chances are people and thought leaders in your network are going to know that you fell for this and that you paid for it. And it's going to make you look kind of, you know, not the best. So if for anything, you know, I know it's tempting to want to be able to fast track to getting those big logos, but don't do it. Yeah. It's kind of like buying followers on social media. People know you're doing it. When you suddenly grow by 10,000 followers on Instagram in a month, unless you've had a viral moment, people know. I mean, I've worked with clients on influencer campaigns and if someone has 10,000 followers, but they get 23 likes on a post and zero engagement, I know there's something fishy going on and I'll tell my client, we're not going to add them to the list. Publicists, media, everyone's getting a lot smarter about that. So you really have to be mindful of mm-hmm. not buying these wins. So let me ask you this. If somebody's listening and they're thinking, you know, I've really always wanted to be in X publication or do a segment on this TV show, what's your best advice to that small business owner who is trying to do it themselves? If they are thinking they want to do it themselves, they are already. 10 steps ahead of their competition, because let me tell you, most of the time your competition isn't even thinking about PR and starting and doing it yourself today is so much easier than you think. A perfect candidate for DIY PR is someone that knows exactly what outlet or outlets they want to be in. And they have anywhere from an hour to a week to dedicate to that because the whole PR system you'll send a pitch and then you really should wait, you know, anywhere from four to five business days before you follow up. And then you follow up and then you still want to wait, you know, three to four business days to make sure that they're not going to respond to your follow-up before you go and pitch anyone else at that outlet. Because journalists talk, you can't pitch two or three people at the same outlet at the same time, because if they go to a pitch meeting and bring the exact same pitch, it's going to be really awkward and you're not going to ever hear from them again. So the whole process to pitch one outlet and one writer can actually take about two weeks. So if you're a business owner and you're thinking, I want to be in Forbes, All it takes is to start, write that first pitch and hit send. And then you can get back to running your business, making your customers happy, all of that. And then if you don't hear anything back, send a follow-up. It actually is so much easier to build into your day-to-day routine. Just put a block on your calendar that says, I'm going to dedicate an hour or two, and maybe it's just an hour to PR this week. And that's enough to already start moving the needle forward. Awesome. The last question I like to ask people is, have you ever had something that you've posted on social media that just, that ended up flossing, that just didn't go the way you thought it would? So definitely things that I have shared go the way I thought it would, or go beyond the expectations I had for it. So yeah, that would definitely be, and and we hinted earlier at talking about sea glass, but I've been picking sea glass since I was a little girl. It amazes me how it's absolutely grown here in the Maritimes. People are just I get into a Facebook fight with someone every other day because I won't reveal my sea glass destination um, or my favorite beaches. And they're like, every beach is public. And it's like, well, if you're trespassing to get there, it kind of anyway. So I'm, I'm really good at fighting sea glass trolls on the regular, but years ago, I thought, you know, not even years ago now, I guess this would be two or three years ago. 
I had this perfectly curated grid. I was doing a lot more partnerships back then, and I was very particular in what I posted on social media, but I was really excited about a couple of glass pieces I found. And I thought, you know what, this is probably going to tank, but I'm just going to post a picture of sea glass, which to some people just looks like litter at the beach. And it absolutely exploded. And I discovered that there was this whole new world of people who will go crazy over sea glass. So far as if you've ever heard or read about ASMR, audio Mm -hmm. sensory, they lose it over a video of you picking up a piece of sea glass, rubbing the sand off of it and that sound and showing it. And so by chance, I discovered this whole new world of sea glass, which grew my engagement grew my followers, led to joining different communities and really starting to identify that sea glass was actually this huge niche for East Coast Mermaid that I had never even thought to put on the internet. So yeah, I think from that, it's like, if you have this little thing that you're really passionate about, and it all goes back to sharing those behind the scenes glimpses of your life, don't be afraid to post it because it might go against the aesthetic of your theme or your grid or what you think your followers want, because you'll never know if it's something they want until you post it. So figure out what your sea glass is. What is that little thing that you love to do that you might open up a whole other new audience by sharing? You can hear when you rub the sand off the sea glass. You can hear that on a microphone and people like that. Yep. Big time. Wow. I'm not an ASMR fan. I don't like that kind of stuff. I have a bit of misophonia, so noise like that bothers me, but that's interesting. It's a whole thing. There's actually a really big sea glasser from, uh, I think he's down by San Diego and he'll use like sea glass, hashtag sea glass ASMR all of the time. And people just love it. It's crazy. I often put music in or I find too, it's often windy where I'm sea glassing. So if the wind is even remotely making a sound in the background, I'll just mute it, but it's a whole thing. And I did not realize how wild the sea glass world was until I just took a chance and posted that photo. And I mean, if I'm being honest, if I want, if my engagement's been down lately and I want to pop things back up again, I will just post something about C class and it tends to do the trick. So, you know, to that point, like figure out what that is for you and, and don't be afraid to share it. Some people have dogs, some have cats, you have C glass. I have C glass. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me and for sharing your flossom tips for DIYing your PR and your media pitches and helping us find our own C glass opportunity. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to share your stories. Well, thank you so much for having me. Hey, if you're still here, what is your definition of success for your business? If your family needed you, do you have the space in your business to make that happen? I mean, I know you would make that happen, but is your business and your marketing set up to allow you the space to be present for your family without constantly worrying about the business or your next paycheck or your social media presence that you've worked so hard to build? If you can answer yes, congratulations. You are successful in my books and I hope in your own mind too. If you're not quite there yet and you need some help, I would love to hear from you and share some strategies to improve your online marketing while creating that space you so desire. I've opened up my calendar for 30-minute brainstorming sessions to help entrepreneurs like you get a taste of what it's like to work with a social media strategist. You can access these $97 sessions at twerp.ca slash brainstorm. 
Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Beef Blossom, the Good Enough podcast. Before you leave, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode when I'll be talking to another perfectly imperfect entrepreneur. If you're looking for the show notes, head on over to beeflossom.ca, where you'll also find all the links to connect with today's guest.